Amen. Thank you for that wonderful music. Children, you're dismissed to go downstairs. Sister Roberta's traveling this week, but Corey and Hannah are probably going to be doing the lesson for you. Appreciate that. And the rest of us, we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles and like to follow along, we would uh, love for you to, to do so. And we're going to be... Uh, talking about the title of my sermon this morning is the teachings of Jesus in Capernaum, Capernaum, I should say. I, I looked it up online on YouTube on how to pronounce Capernaum correctly. And obviously I would have been pronouncing it wrong this entire time. It's not Capernaum, it's Capernaum. So I'm probably going to just default back to Capernaum. So just so you know, I'm wrong. Okay. YouTube says I'm wrong, so it must be right. All right, so Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28 is where we're going to be at this morning. And uh, just a a quick review, this is the gospel according to Mark, as uh, Peter had given him, and he he has uh, introduced his gospel as uh, introducing the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of, uh, of the kingdom of God, or the good news of God that we talked about last week, how Jesus began after he was baptized and went into the wilderness and was tempted for 40 days, he went into Galilee and began to, in verse 15, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. And he went in and into the Galilee and began to proclaim, right? Repent and believe the good news. He began to declare um, the means in which uh, how the gospel or the God's kingdom has, has, been, has come near to us in, in this world through what Jesus has done. So grateful for that knowledge and knowing, right, that although this world is uh, torn up and there's just so much evil and darkness that we, uh, it's so easy to, to see in this world, we, we understand that God's on a rescue mission and his, his kingdom has been brought near to us through what he has done in Christ Jesus. And that was last week's sermon, so I guess I should move on. But uh, we're going to go ahead and just read verses 21 through 28 and then go through it uh, verse by verse. Verse 21 of Mark says this, They went into Capernaum, (laughs) and right away he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and began to teach. And they were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them as one who had authority and not like the scribes. Just then a man with an unclean spirit was in their synagogue, and he cried out, What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit threw him into convulsions and shouted with a loud voice and came out of him. And they were all amazed. And so they began to ask each other, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once, the news of, about him spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. Will you pray with me one more time? Father God, we just ask that you would help us, God, that your spirits would <clears throat> um, uh, fill me, Lord, and that I would be a vessel used for the preaching of your word. God, I so desire your truth to go forward. I so desire your spirits to work in the hearts of your people. And I so desire for me not to be in the way. 
And God, I know that it is through through the 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 indwelling spirit that is within me, Father, and his his feeling, God, that that can happen. And so, God, I just ask as I feel nervous and anxious, Lord, that you would um, that you would overcome those things, and that your spirit would ultimately and truly work in the midst of us, Father, in our hearts for your glory. We ask this in the name of Jesus, Amen. All right. So uh, there's just three points that I kind of want to go over. It's really focusing on uh, verses 21 and 22, the majority of my message this morning. Um, uh, But there's just three points that I want to go over. The first one is obviously here on the slide. Teaching is of first priority for Jesus. We see that, right? So this is a a historical account of Jesus's earthly ministry. Mark has recorded that for us. He's uh, no more than likely has written this in Rome. He's written it to a people that were no doubt facing persecution for their, their decision to follow after Christ. And uh, no doubt were being read by people who who maybe were beginning to doubt and wonder if their decision to follow Christ was, the, was truly the, the thing that they should have done. Uh, uh, as we all face adversity and trials in life, right? I think all of us can be honest in the fact of knowing that we can sometimes doubt and wonder um, what is going on is the, the trials just seem to keep coming. And, and, and even if, we may not understand this, but uh, our brothers and sisters around the world right now are enduring severe persecution for the decision to follow after Christ. But it's, uh, it's through God's word, through this gospel of Mark and, and the other three gospels and his preserved word of, of the historical accounts of who Jesus is and what he's come to do, that we can take heart. And know that God is truly at work in spite of what seems to be happening to us and what seems to be contrary to what seems to be good, right? Evil abounds. That traditional wisdom that Solomon was struggling with in our, within our uh, sermon in Ecclesiastes, right? Traditional wisdom says if we do righteous things, then we are to be rewarded. But often that is not the case in a fallen world. But it is through God's word that uh, his people can look and, and remember what God has done in Christ Jesus and be um, built up in their faith. We talked about uh, in our series in Ecclesiastes how uh, Solomon's conclusion was ultimately that we were to fear God, right? Walk in with the knowledge and understanding of who God is. And keep his commandments, seek after what he desires. And that is where we will find meaning and purpose in our life. And in the New Testament, the scriptures declare in Second Corinthians how we are, as we behold Jesus, as we look to Jesus in his word, right, the spirit of God begins to transform us into his image. Step by step through the sanctifying power, through His sanctifying power. We talked in Sunday school this morning how important it is for us to, to feed on the Word of God and to, and to have fellowship with one another and to seek to carry out His command to, to love God and love others and, and pursue Him to feed this new heart that He's given us in salvation. Not just to be busy, but with the knowledge of knowing that is how God transforms us. And changes us more into the image of Jesus step by step. And so we have this privilege this morning to see and look into the Word of God and see Jesus uh, exercise His authority and, and see that He 
his first priority as the Messiah was to what? To, to teach, to preach, to proclaim the good news. We saw him in Galilee last week proclaiming, repent and believe in the gospel. And then we see him of first priority going into Capernaum, a town, a fishing village on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. And he, he does what? He teaches. It's his first priority. He doesn't set up a castle and, and have his disciples begin to serve him. No, he begins to proclaim and teach. And this is what we see in verse 21. They went into Capernaum, and right away he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath. That's The synagogue is the Jewish meeting place where they would meet and, and, and have uh, sermons about the Torah uh, and the Old Testament and such. That was their religious place. And he went straight into the synagogue, and as was the custom, began to teach on the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day is the last day of the week, the Saturday. And that was the... The, 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 the Sabbath in which God had established in the Old Testament as the means in which the Jews were to, to gather and to, to worship God. And so he goes into the synagogue, and what does he do? He begins to teach. And this is the model that he, he had given, that he, he did in his earthly ministry, and it's the model that he called the 12 disciples to follow. We see that in, uh, in a passage like in Luke Right? He sent the 12 disciples out into the world to proclaim the good news that the kingdom of God has come near. And he sent them out and, and he had them follow that same pattern. Luke 9, 6. So they went out and traveled from village to village proclaiming the good news and, and healing everywhere. This is the pattern that Jesus not only told the disciples, but it's something that he modeled in himself. He, he began to teach. He began to proclaim the good news. Paul followed this, this exact um, model as well. And his, uh, the book of Acts records his missionary journeys. And these missionary journeys, he, he goes from town to town. And he goes to the synagogue. And he begins to, to reason with the Jews of how Jesus was the fulfillment of the Messiah. He talks about this in Acts chapter 20. He, he's giving, providing uh, his audience a recount of what he, he had done in his missionary journeys. And if you follow along Paul, right, the, he wasn't like just immediately accepted. He wasn't this like very charismatic guy and then everyone just followed all, followed all, fell all over themselves to, to follow after his teachings, right? He would proclaim Jesus and, and some would believe, but many became very angry and Paul was beaten and whipped and chased out of town and, and thrown into prison because of his, his boldness to declare the good news of Jesus Christ. He says in Acts 20, Verses 18 through 21. And when they came to him, he said to them, You know, from the first day I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and during the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews. Following after Jesus cost Paul dearly, physically. But it was what... God had called him to, what the Lord had called him to. And he goes on in verse 20, you know that I did not hesitate in spite of men persecuting him and him limping into the next town after just being beaten, as we see in the book of Acts. He never hesitated to proclaim 
the good news. You know that I did not hesitate to proclaim anything to you that was profitable and to teach you publicly from house to house. I testified to both Jews and Greeks. So what did he proclaim? The same thing that Jesus did in, our, in his ministry to Galilee that we saw last week. I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance, abandoning hope in all else, abandoning hope in your religious works, abandoning hope in your self-righteousness, having that change of mind to see and understand that without Jesus uh, being the substitutionary atonement for your account, for your sin, for your sin debt, without understanding that and beholding and believing and trusting in Christ alone, right? We will be judged according to our works unless we repent and turn from those things and, and place our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus alone. Paul, the apostles, all followed this same model. And so the question comes to us in 2022. What is the model for our modern age? Is it different? We have to take into the account of the cultural context in which we we now live, right? We're 2021 as opposed to first century uh, Israel. And so we, we don't have necessarily the opportunity to go into a synagogue and to publicly proclaim Jesus. But, but does that excuse us from, from what God has called his church to do? I say no. The gospel, and Christ has charged the church to, to advance the gospel forward, to proclaim this good news publicly from house to house. Maybe that's not... Uh, Something in, you know, right? if we go from house to house and begin to proclaim Jesus, we're probably going to get the cops called on us. But, but we understand this idea that Jesus has called his church to proclaim the good news publicly and without reservation and without, and with complete disregard as to what might happen to us physically. Because this is what matters the good news. That God has made a way of salvation through Jesus Christ. This is what is of what of chief importance. This is what humanity needs. They need Jesus. They need to hear the message that Jesus has come to seek and to save those who are lost, those who have been separated by their sin. They need to hear that they need to repent and believe the good news. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Christ tells his disciples just before he was to ascend to the right hand of the Father, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And we know the Holy Spirit will come in Acts chapter 2 upon the church. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That is what God has called us to do. And in in context, Culturally, context, contextual speaking, that's, that's way too many words there. But you know what I'm talking about. Contextually speaking, culturally speaking, right? We have to understand how we can do that. How we can be faithful to what God has called us to do. We can't go, right? We, there's different places. Jerusalem, that's our hometown. We, and then the area surrounding our hometown, Judea. And then further on beyond that, the, the region of, of, of Bonneville County, Samaria, Idaho, Trying to bring this into an understanding that we can 
we can understand, the context we can understand, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. That's what God has called His church to do. And we have the opportunity to to, um, contribute. In April, we'll have the opportunity and a free will offering for the International Missions Board for the Southern Baptist Convention who is over uh, tens of thousands of missionaries that go throughout the entire world and proclaim the good news. Because that is what God has called His church to do is to proclaim the good news to every, every place and to every nation and to every kindred and tongue. And so we, because we cannot go to every nation and every place and corner of the earth, right? We can, we can get behind and contribute monetarily to those who are called to go to those places. But that does not excuse us also from understanding that we have our own uh, responsibility to, to be able to, to proclaim the good news and be the light and the salt that God has called us to be locally with our friends and neighbors, with our family, here in Idaho Falls. First Peter writes to the church and he says, but in your heart, in First Peter 3.15, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy. Right? In our hearts we are to regard Christ the Lord as holy. And then he says this, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yes, we can contribute to the greater cause and the greater mission through the North American Mission Board and through the International Mission Board to send and financially support those that are going out. But, it, but we still have this, this call from our, from our Lord and Savior to be able to, to give a defense to anyone who may ask of what are the reason for the hope that is in you. And I know that's scary. And I know that may be uncomfortable for some of us. But this is what our society needs. They need to hear about Jesus. They need to hear not only about Jesus, but that their need to, to abandon hope and all else and believe and trust in Christ alone for salvation. And it can be really easy. I mean, we, we see in Scripture how Paul would say to, uh, write to the church and say, pray that I would have an open door to share the gospel. And that's a prayer that we need to pray. I'm not telling you to go out there and force the issue and to, to you know, but pray that you would have open doors for your friends and your family and your neighbors, your co-workers to be able to share the good news, that the door would open, that they would ask you for the reason of the hope that lies within you. But you also need to, to be able to, to provide that answer. Have you thought about what you might say to someone as God might give you an opportunity to share your testimony, right? To testimony, if you think of a testimony in a, in a courtroom, right? They ask the person on the stand, the witness, what did you see? What happened? What did, what, where were you? What, how were you involved? And that's ultimately what we are to do to be witnesses of Jesus. What has Jesus done for you? Can you tell the people that you love and that you encounter on a daily basis how Jesus came in and saved you from what you truly deserve and, 
and testify to His power in your life. May we all be reminded that that is what God has called us to do, that we don't, shouldn't just leave it up to the professionals. People need to hear what God has done for you in Christ. That you may be able to provide that, that answer to someone of that hope that you have in Christ. We did, uh, before the pandemic, we'll have to do it again this summer. We had like a, just a time where we met together on a Wednesday night and we talked about being able to share the gospel and what that looked like. And we practiced on one another, right? And whoever drew me got the hard, the hard, hard, hard case to crack, right? The cynic. I'm just kidding. I'm trying, not to, I'm trying to make you more comfortable, not make you more uncomfortable. But we practice on one another. What, what, what would you say if someone were to ask you? So, so tell me, I know you go to church. Why, what, what, what do you believe? Or can you, can you give a reason? Can you give a defense, an answer for the hope as in Jesus, and I pray that you would go to God and meditate on that and, how, and figure it out, maybe write it out, what you might say. And then pray that God would give you an opportunity because this, this is what our friends and our family and our neighbors need. The good news that the kingdom of God has come near in Christ Jesus. And if they abandon hope in their religion or their self-righteousness, and place their faith and trust in, in Jesus Christ alone, that they would be saved, that they would be adopted into God's family, that they would receive eternal life. If you need someone to practice on, I'll be that person. This is my heart for our church, is that we are people who not only love Jesus, but want to talk about Jesus and want Jesus to be made known. That we don't just leave it to the professionals, but that God, the Spirit, would work through us in His church. That we would follow the model given to us by Christ and the apostles. That we would publicly proclaim the good news of Jesus. The second point we see in Mark one twenty two that Jesus not only um, has teaching as the first priority, He now demonstrates the authority he has in his teaching. Teaching with authority. Verse 22, they were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them as one who had authority and not like the scribes. In first century Israel, when they met in the synagogue, a a scribe would be the, the expert of the law. He would be the one that was looked up to, that would be given the preferred seat because he, he knew the law and he, he was maybe part of the Sanhedrin, the leadership, Right, so everyone looked to the to the scribe as the one as that had all the answers of the of God and the things of the Bible or the Old Testament. But apparently, as I was studying this out, what they meant, what Mark means here about he teach, Jesus teaching differently than the scribes is the fact that the scribes would stand up and and they would quote rabbis. They would say God's word says this, and Rabbi such and such because Rabbi such and such said this. And so they would quote the rabbis for their authority. And so a scribe wouldn't use it, uh, claim his own authority. He'd always claim a rabbi who then quoted another rabbi who then quoted another rabbi as their source 
of authority, Jesus comes on the scene and he, he presents himself as the, as the source of authority. He doesn't quote some other rabbi. He demonstrates that he is the very source of authority because he is not just uh, from God, he is God in the flesh. We see this in Matthew chapter 5 in his uh, Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is teaching to a great multitude of people. And he says this in, in Matthew 5.21, You have heard, it, heard that it was said to our ancestors. right? The, the ancient teaching, the rabbis have said this, do not, or it says in the Mosaic Law, do not murder. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. And so that would be something that would be commonly accepted because it was in the Old Testament, probably quoted by a rabbi. But look at what Jesus does. But I tell you, He's claiming the authority that is from God. But I tell you, it's, it used to, they, we used to say in the past, this is how you would violate that commandment by murder, by committing murder. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says you fool will be subject to hellfire. See, Jesus assumed his own authority. He was the source of authority because he was God in the flesh. I think all of us can understand that. I remember when I was in my early 20s, my older brother was a secret service agent and I just kind of sprung. He was up in Seattle and I drove up there from Utah and I just kind of said, hey, I'm coming. And so he had already had a, the uh, secret service is also, uh, is part of the Department of Treasury. So not only do they protect foreign dignitaries and stuff, but they, they do counterfeit investigations, counterfeit money investigations. So he had already had this um, surveillance thing set up before he knew I was coming. And so I show up, he's like, well, you want to go with me (laughs) to a surveillance? I'm like, yeah, sure. That sounds great. Little I know how boring it was going to be, right? We sat in a car all day long in a, in a blacked out SUV looking at a post office for someone to show up. And it was, it was like the most boring day I've ever had. But uh, we were in the parking lot of this mini, uh, the shopping center, and one of the store owners had noticed that him and I were hanging out in this car all day. And so she comes to the door, and she's on the phone, and you could tell she's probably calling the 911 or something because there's two, two guys hanging out in the car, right, looking at this. And, and so I, and Matt's in the back. My brother's looking, looking at the post office. I'm like, hey, she's checking us out. And he's like, oh, boy, prop, police probably going to come out to tell them what we're doing. I'm like, let me just, let me just flash, you, flash her your badge. Let me, let me flash it. So we can show him that we're here on you know legitimate business. He goes, Jared, I'd I'd love to, but then I'd have to arrest you for impersonating a federal agent, right? My brother was given that authority to represent the the federal government. That was his to have. For me to do that would to be only to or impersonate that authority, and that's. What is that the crux of the the matter here? Jesus coming into earth and demonstrating not only that he was of God, but that he had authority. And not only that he had authority, but he was the source of authority. Because if you're in Christ Jesus, if you've encountered Jesus in in a saving way, maybe if you have not, that's what it comes down to. Your your eternity, your, your eternal, the eternal consequences lie in balance of who Jesus is and who he claimed to be. 
and what we just what we do with with who Jesus is, and if we receive and believe it or reject it, we see two different t- people in the scriptures: those who receive and believe Jesus, and then those who reject Him. Is Jesus who He truly said He was? And we see Mark showing us that He not only had authority. My brother had the authority of the federal government, but he was not the source of the authority. He acted in concert with the authority, but he was not the source. Jesus was the source of authority. And we can trust him because he not only said he had authority and was the source of authority, the third point is he demonstrated his authority. He taught through exercising or demonstrating his authority. Anyone can claim to have authority, but to demonstrate and to exercise it is a whole other thing, especially when it comes to, to, to the spiritual things. And we see Jesus exercising his authority in the verses that follow. Verses 23 through 28. Just then a man with an unclean spirit was in their synagogue, and he cried out, What do you do with us? So it says unclean spirit in the Christian Standard Bible, but your translation might say, say demon. That's exactly what's going on. There's, there's a man who's, who's been um, demonized, and the spirit was within him, and he cried out, what do, you do with, uh, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The demons know who Jesus is. The demons understand what's at stake. And he saw who Jesus was right away. I know who you are. The Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, exercising his authority. Being silent, Be silent, he says, and come out of him. And the unclean spirit threw him into a convulsions, shouted with a loud, loud voice, and came out of him. Verse 27, they were all amazed. And so they began to ask each other, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. It's one thing to say you're of God or that you have authority from God. That's another thing to exercise it over the spiritual realm. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And we'll go on to see Jesus exercising his authority from on high uh, as God in the flesh again and again and again, demonstrating that he had power over his creation. And he taught in this regard, right? Do you see that? He's teaching through his exercising of authority. Because he, as he exercises authority, people were able to see that who Jesus said he was, he was actually. And I know this is kind of sobering for us, to a sobering reminder that we have a spiritual enemy, Satan and his demons. We have the kingdom of darkness that opposes the things of God. Peter writes in 1 Peter 5, there uh, is a 
constant prowl of the devil over the earth. The devil's prowling, looking for whom he may devour. And he has demons, these unclean spirits, these fallen angels who, who exercise his bidding. And, and these are the things that we, we are forced to, to understand, that these things that we're encountering, the, the, the travesties that are happening all over the world, the darkness and the, the war that is in Europe, right, is, is, a, is a battle of, of, of evil versus good. And that's kind of sobering and it's kind of uncomfortable to talk about. But it's the reality. But we also know that Jesus has authority even over the devil and his demons. And we also know that the work of the devil has already been defeated through what Christ has done on the cross. And so we can rest in that and we can rest in the authority that Jesus has demonstrated as we are in Christ, that we, we exercise and we live out what he's called us to do in the fear of God and keeping his commandments for the glory of God in our lives, right? To do all these things and knowing that, that he ultimately has authority and rule, sovereign rule over his creation. I'm getting ahead of myself here. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus reminds his disciples, his 12 disciples, after he's risen from the grave, he's getting ready to ascend to the Father, and he gives the disciples and ultimately us, his church, the Great Commission. What we are to do. And I've brought this passage up in, in just a, a couple weeks ago. And often we talk about and we focus on verse 18 about, and 19 about uh, the understanding of who God is and the, the, the one God and three distinct persons in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But this morning I want to focus on what he says at the beginning and the end of this interaction with his disciples. And when they, they saw him, they worshipped him. So Jesus comes and appears to them. They saw him and they worshipped him, but but some doubted. And that might be us this morning. Some doubting or questioning what's going on. And Jesus comes to reassure them. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority has been given to our Savior, He is in control. Verse 19, go therefore, because he has the authority. He's called us to do this thing. He's called us to proclaim this good news. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and in the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're not only to call the gospel, to, to call them to repentance and belief, but then he goes on to say to teach them, to observe everything I've commanded you. We're to disciple them. And then he gives them this final reassurance. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. We can trust that Jesus is in control and as much as things seem to be spinning out of control, it is under His authority. And all He calls us to do is to, to, to walk in Him and His power and the power of the Spirit that He's given us to seek to live our lives for Him 
And ultimately, he will bring all things to summation. And that is what we trust in. That is what Mark has revealed to us through the inspiration of the Spirit, that Jesus not only claimed he had authority over everything, the spiritual realm, but he demonstrated his authority. And even though you might be doubting this morning, you can trust that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. And all things will be made and put under his rule and reign. And the eternal life that is to come is a promise that we hope for because of who Jesus is and what he's promised to do. I pray that you find strength and comfort and what Jesus has done and the authority he's demonstrated in his earthly ministry as recorded in the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for this opportunity to be reminded, God, that all things are in your hands. As much as our hearts are heavy for all the evil things that seem to be happening all around us, we understand and, and know, Father, through your revealed word, through your inspired word, God, that you are working all things together for good and for your glory's sake. And we're so grateful to be reminded of that, Lord. And we just pray that your spirit would help us and enable us, Father, to, to do what you've called us to do. We, we feel so um, unpowered. We can't, we can't affect what's going on in Europe individually, Lord, but you've called us to, to proclaim the gospel here. So help us, Lord, to be faithful in what you've called us to do. Help us to have faith that you've called us for a purpose and to embolden us, Lord, to preach the gospel to those that we can talk to and speak with. We pray for open doors, God, to be able to share the good news and that you'd receive glory in that. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.